This is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And today I have the great pleasure of speaking with Dr. Amanda Nichols-Bader, who is Vice Chair of Gynecologic Surgical Operations wow. and also the Director for the Center for Rare Gynecologic Cancers at Johns Hopkins, where she's also Associate Professor in Gynecologic Oncology. Amanda, thank you so much for joining me, and uh, thank you for your time. Dr. Ramirez, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. It's absolutely a, a pleasure. And Amanda, obviously, wanted to talk to you about a really relevant and important topic and, and one that derives from uh, a key study that um, you have recently conducted, the uh, the randomized phase two trial of uh, carboplatinum and paclitaxel versus carboplatinum and paclitaxel and trastuzumab in uterine serous carcinoma. Um, there was uh, obviously uh, uh, two studies that, that, that we know of uh, uh, out of this uh, particular trial. Um, and uh, obviously this is, uh, this is something that is becoming increasingly uh, much more um, impacting in the management of patients with uterine papillary serous carcinoma. So I wanted to start by providing our listeners some information as to the relevance of HER2 in patients with uterine papillary serous carcinoma. And I was wondering if you can tell us about like, the mutational profile of these tumors, particularly uh, uterine papillary serous carcinoma versus the uh, standard endometriotype. Certainly, and thank you again for having me. So as we all know, we're moving into a more molecular and targeted direction in terms of diagnostics and management of endometrial cancers. And most epithelial endometrial cancers can be histologically classified as endometrioid, serous, clear cell, or carcinosarcomas. And each histotype, is, as our listeners know, has a distinct natural history, clinical behavior, and mutational profile with the endometrioid cancers having an overall favorable prognosis, and they are typified by high-frequency uh, uh, genomic alterations involving PIK3CA, P10, KRAS, and beta-catenin, as well as epigenetic silencing of MLH1 that results in microsatellite instability. On the other hand, we know that the serous endometrial cancers are clinically much more aggressive and poor prognostic tumors, although Unfortunately, rarer representation, but they account for a really disproportionate fraction of all endometrial cancer deaths. And we see very different mutational and genomic profiles in each tumor than the endometrial carcinomas, with uh, aneuploid being common, and they're typified by frequent genomic alterations in uh, the P53 mm-hmm. gene, um, uh, uh, PPP2R1A. Uh, PIK3CA as well, ECAT here in T16, cyclin E dysregulation, and then importantly in the HER2 or the HERB2 gene, which has been um, the focus of a lot of my, my work in uterine serous carcinoma and one of the most interesting alterations um, in, in this tumor type. And Amanda, one of the things that, um, before we kind of get into the details of, uh, of the studies, I was wondering if you could describe for our audience what is a standard is there a standard criteria for defining when a tumor is HER2 mu positive? Absolutely. And let me just take a step back and just describe what the HER2 pathway is. As many of our listeners already know, um, the HER2 pathway is an oncogenic pathway that promotes 
cell growth and division when it is functioning normally. Mm -hmm. However, when it's overexpressed, cell growth can accelerate beyond its normal limits, and in some uh, cases, cancer can develop um, uh, where the pathway is exploited to promote rapid cell growth. Um, and the HER2 receptor is a, a transmembrane extracellular tyrosine kinase uh, receptor that um, really initiates uh, a lot of that signal signaling cascade into the cell. And so we can identify um, tumors that have HER2 through uh, specific types of testing. And interestingly, about one-third of breast cancer patients are HER2 positive, um, about 20% of gastric carcinoma patients. And then we found that in uterine cervix carcinoma, about 25 to 30% as well of any stage also overexpressed the, the HER2 protein or gene. So there's approved algorithms that have been developed for scoring um, HER2 expression and amplification in both breast and GI carcinomas, but notably, there's currently no validated criteria that exists for uterine cancer. Mm -hmm. um, so typically, what we use is the American Society of Clinical Oncology and the College of American Pathologists breast cancer algorithm um, in the detection of HER2 in, in uterine serous carcinoma. Mm -hmm. And in the most recent 2018 algorithms that were developed, the tumors are first evaluated for protein expression with an, an immunohistochemistry or IHC assay, mm -hmm. and then results are given based on a percentage of tumor cells that are positive for HER2, as well as the completeness of the membrane staining. So, so we all know that results are reported on a scale of 0 to 3, but what that means is um, cases that are 0, 1 plus are considered negative for HER2 expression. Mm -hmm. Cases that are 3 plus are considered positive. But if the scoring is in between at 2+, plus, which is defined as incomplete or weak staining and greater than 10% of tumor cells, mm -hmm. or complete and intense staining and fewer than 10% of tumor cells, then the tumor gets subjected to the in situ hybridization, or ISH, which uses a probe to locate a specific sequence of DNA in the HER2, and basically reports an average number of HER2 copy number signals per cell. Wow, thank you so much for uh, clarifying that. I uh, Great learning point uh, for all of us. Um, so now, describe for us um, what is um, trastuzumab, uh, Herceptin, and, and why is it important in the setting of uterine papillary serous carcinoma today? Yeah, thank you for that question. So trastuzumab, which is also known in the, in the U.S. and several other countries under the brand name Herceptin, among others, is a monoclonal antibody um, that targets HER2, the HER2 receptor, mm -hmm. and it induces an immune-mediated response that causes internalization and downregulation of HER2. Mm -hmm. And it may also upregulate cell cycle inhibitors or checkpoints, such as P21 and P27. Mm -hmm. um, and basically, trastuzumab is, is administered through an IV, um, and the first dose is usually a loading dose that's higher than the typical dose given, and then the subsequent doses which are given every three weeks, are given at a slightly lower dose than the subsequent, um, in the subsequent cycles. And, um, and basically, um, it, it basically can be used by itself, uh, but honestly works better when given in combination with other chemotherapy. Right. So then that brings us to your landmark study, a phase two trial that was published in the journal Clinical Oncology, comparing carboplatinum and paclitaxel with and without trastuzumab in patients with advanced or recurrent uterine serous carcinoma who overexpressed uh, HER2. Um, what were the findings from that study? 
Yeah, thank you. This was a study that I actually uh, was very fortunate to start developing as a fellow. And then after four years in a, a collaboration with Dr. Alessandro Santin, we were able to obtain funding for, for the study and, and, and launch the trial. And so we studied 61 patients, as you said, with advanced or recurrent uterine serous carcinoma that overexpressed HER2. And it was a randomized phase two design. Um, and we looked at the previous literature in breast to, to show that trastuzumab when added to chemotherapy and advanced or recurrent disease improved progression-free survival and overall, overall survival in that subcohort. Mm -hmm. So we had a similar study design. And so what the general findings of the study were that we were very excited about is that patients who received trastuzumab had an improved progression-free survival, which was the primary endpoint of the study, of about five months, and this is statistically significant, uh, with a hazard ratio of 0.44, uh, very good confidence interval. Mm -hmm. um, and these encouraging results um, prompted changes in the National Comprehensive Cancer Network's uterine cancer guidelines um, that trastuzumab, in addition to platinum and taxane-based chemotherapy, is now considered the preferred regimen for women with advanced or recurrent HER2-positive uterine serous disease. Well, and then that uh, brings me to the next question, um, and I was interested in the in, in, uh, breakdown of the outcomes. Uh, in, in other words, are the results yeah. as promising in the primary treatment of advanced disease or more promising in, in recurrent disease? Was there any um, uh, difference or any thoughts you, you might give to that? We, yes, we definitely saw a distinct difference in the cohorts. Um, so when examining those 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 subcohorts, um, the median progression-free survival um, was um, quite a bit longer, almost eight months among the 41 patients undergoing primary treatment who'd had mm -hmm. undergone primary surgery, and then were the were you first receiving their their you know first line chemotherapy, um, and particularly that we saw that in those with stage three or four disease. Um, we did, however, still see a significant improvement in progression-free survival in those with recurrence. Um, however, this was only a 3.2-month difference, and, and, and I think this is to be expected. Mm -hmm. We know that patients, as a general matter, with recurrent disease may not be as, um, uh, uh, um, as their tumors may not be as susceptible to these agents. So we, we believe that the greatest benefit of trastuzumab was seen in those that are treated up front and, and to really recommend and what we do here at Hopkins is we test all uterine serous tumors for HER2 up front mm. so that we know um, what the status of those tumors are molecularly and can use that targeted therapy when we think it is most likely to be beneficial to patients. That's great. And uh, I mean, the, you know, obviously many of us are not as um, comfortable or as, as used to treating patients with trastuzumab. So when, it, when, when you're having your conversation with your patients about toxicity, uh, what, yeah. what are some of the most common side effects that you quote to your patients? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so in the trial uh, itself, which gives us the best available evidence in this population of women about toxicity, we did not find a significant difference in toxicity profiles uh, for, you know, grade two through four disease um, in um, women who received the trastuzumab compared to those who did not, mm -hmm. which was very exciting to see. And that's consistent with what we see in the breast and gastric carcinoma literature. It's in general an incredibly well-tolerated drug for most women. Mm -hmm. And in fact, so well-tolerated that we still have a handful of women still on the trastuzumab maintenance who are, um, some who are disease-free, some who have stable disease years later and doing quite well. 
But to answer your question, um, the most concerning side effect that we see, which can be a DLT in this setting, is um, uh, cardiomyopathy, uh, exacerbation of heart disease. Um, it can affect the cardiomyocytes in only a very rare proportion of women, and two, about 2 to 6%. Um, but in women who do have extensive cardiac disease or have had previous anthracycline treatments, which we do use in, you know, in select women with endometrial cancers, mm -hmm. we have to be really, really careful because we see greater toxicities in those types of women. Otherwise, women experience um, low-grade toxicities. We can, we can see rash, allergic reaction, low-grade fevers, and headaches. And if you, those are some of the more common symptoms that we see. Right. And, and um, to another point, Amanda, um, does it matter how many uh, prior number of uh, prior lines of uh, chemotherapy regimens the patients have had in order to see these benefits? Uh, another excellent question that I don't know that we have a great answer for yet, um, because this, this trial only included 58 evaluable women, and the median number of lines in the study was prior lines was one, although we allowed up to two prior lines of chemotherapy. You know, the concept of platinum sensitivity in endometrial cancer is something we talk about, but <laughs> it's never really been validated, right? And so there's a question about, you know, when when is the appropriate time to, you know, re-challenge a woman, if ever, with, you know, platinum taxing therapies after receiving it in the upfront setting? Um, and, you know, is there an interval in which we can expect that she will do well with that treatment? So it's not just about the HER2 expression, but about, you know, are they going to respond to the cytotoxics? And we're hoping to be able to better answer those, those kinds of questions about median number of prior lines and especially prior platinum therapies in um, an NRG study that is um, under development now um, that will look at this question on a much larger scale. So now um, you had uh, obviously told us about progression-free survival uh, on that initial uh, study. More recently, uh, I believe it was in June of this year, you published data yes. on the overall survival of these patients. And I was wondering whether we still see that benefit in terms of overall survivals. What were the findings from that most recent study? Yeah, Dr. Santine and I and our research group were very excited to see that um, uh, not only were the median progression-free survival um, uh, values maintained over a longer follow-up period, um, but we also saw an, a significant improvement in overall survival in the trial cohort. And specifically, um, so the median, again, the median PFS was retained, um, uh, and those differences in both the um, advanced uh, primary and recurrent cohorts um, and overall survival in the overall cohort was higher in the trastuzumab arm with a median of 29.6 months compared to 24.4 months, so about five months. However, when we looked at the subgroup breakdown, we only saw the overall survival benefit in those with the stage three and four disease treated upfront with a median overall survival um, uh, not reached, um, uh, you know, in, 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 um, in this, in this uh, cohort, which is exciting. Yeah. Now, I wanted to ask you, obviously, about a topic that is uh, commonly uh, addressed uh, recently, the issue yeah. of cost, and, and, and particularly, obviously, trastuzumab. Um, can you tell us uh, about the cost? And, and certainly, in, in your patients, do you find that most insurance uh, companies actually cover for trastuzumab for patients with uterine papillary serous carcinoma? 
I'll answer that that last question first because I think it's so important. Um, yes. So so now that um, it's been two years since our progression-free survival data was published, and the NCCN recognizes trastuzumab with platinum taxidermy therapy as the preferred treatment for women with HER2 positive disease. Um, it should not be difficult to obtain insurance approval for this regimen since payers use the NCCN guidelines to help, you know, make mm -hmm. those decisions. Um, but without insurance, uh, yes, this, like many monoclonal antibodies or targeted sexier targeted therapies that we use to treat gynecologic cancers, it's very expensive. And um, despite the fact it's been around a long time, um, mm -hmm. So, um, so in the breast literature, we know that it costs about fifty thousand dollars for adjuvant treatment. Um, you know, for a, a year or so of treatment. Mm -hmm. um, we haven't done those uh, uh, comparative effectiveness or quality of life gains in years. You know, um, analyses in uterine serous carcinoma with the use of this drug. However, we plan to do that again in an upcoming NRG study that's being developed. Right. And, and I was wondering also, uh, you know, certainly particularly in HER2 positive breast cancer patients, um, another drug, pertuzumab, um, yeah. is often used. Is there any role for pertuzumab in this population? Yes, that's a <laughs> thank you for this question. Um, so, so HER2 um, normally, ha the receptor has to normally combine with another protein in order to function. It's a process called dimerization, mm -hmm. and it combines with a second HER2 receptor. Um, or it can heterodimerize with a different receptor of the HER family. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, the most potent dimer, dimer interaction to activate the signaling cascade in the cell is the HER2 and HER3 um, interaction. So trastuzumab basically is the an antibody against HER2, and its epitope is the domain where HER2 binds to another HER2 protein or homodimerization. Mm -hmm. However, the epitope for pertuzumab, which is a very similar monoclonal antibody to the HER2 um, receptor, basically binds um, to, uh, to HER3, and pertuzumab actually prevents the HER2, HER3 dimer from forming, which blocks further sig that further signaling cascade. So in the breast literature, we've seen that using the two monoclonal antibodies together with chemotherapy, mm -hmm. so pertuzumab, trastuzumab together with chemotherapy, um, not only prevents HER2 from functioning, but plus significant survival gains beyond using trastuzumab and chemotherapy alone in that population. Um, so we actually have a trial that is well underway in terms of development that we're very excited. We'll, we'll um, be hopefully under the development at the NCI soon. Mm -hmm. um, it's an international um, NRG um, phase three study of stage one through four uterine serous carcinoma as well mm -hmm. as carcinosarcomas that we know that carcinosarcomas often have a serous epithelial component. So you can also test your carcinosarcomas for HER2 and use trastuzumab in that population as well. And we're basically doing a three-arm trial um, examining carbotaxol alone versus carbotaxol trastuzumab and then the pertuzumab trastuzumab combination with chemo in the third arm. So we're, we're excited to, to study whether the, the, the monoclonal antibodies together might even enhance their uh, survival benefits further for these women. Yeah, so that's really interesting that you mentioned, and I think I heard you say that uh, you're also including stage one patients because the other day, actually, yeah. I had a, a patient ask me, uh, why would we not 
be giving trastuzumab in the upfront setting after surgery, even when uh, disease is just limited to the uterus. You know, the patient is like, well, if it works in the advanced and the uh, recurrent setting, why not yeah. just give it to me for just prevention of this disease coming back? What, what, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I think it's excellent logic that we have um, little data for, but that we want to determine in this study. And the reason we included early-stage patients in the study is um, our uh, multi-site research, HER2 research group, um, published a paper recently, and this was led by Britt Erickson at Minnesota. Um, we had Alessandra Santin, our group at Hopkins as well. Um, and we looked at the significance of tumoral HER2 expression in early-stage, stage one uterine thirst tumors that were operated on and received a variety of therapies afterwards. And so they were tested for HER2. And interestingly, we found a 26% HER2 positivity rate. We've always had this mm. assumption that it's the advanced or recurrent tumors that are going to be more expressive of this. But actually, we're seeing about the same expression rates in the stage one tumors, similar to the with trends with breast, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and what we found was um, that after a median follow-up of 50 months, um, we saw a 25% recurrence rate in this population. And there were significantly more recurrences in the HER2-positive cohort, 50% versus 17% in those who are HER-negative. And the HER2-positive tumors were associated with worse progression-free and overall survival, even after controlling for chemotherapy administration. So we were flabbergasted by that. And obviously, this is retrospective and only 160-some tumors. But it gave us some rationale to, to say, look, these women with early-stage disease some do very, very well, but some can have a terrible prognosis, and mm -hmm. we need to do better. And so we're excited that we're going to be able to study those women in this larger trial as well and yeah. answer that question for your patient. <laughs> that's that's really very exciting. Um, Amanda, one of the other questions that has come up uh, in a recent uh, discussion with a patient was, you know, if this regimen is working and I'm tolerating it yeah. okay, how long can I be on this regimen? Uh, what's the role for just maintenance trastuzumab? Um, your thoughts? So the, my thoughts are that we don't know, similar to immunotherapy, you know, we don't know the, the, the optimal duration of treatment. We have to balance duration of treatment with potential toxicity, cardiac toxicity. And as I said, I think a little bit earlier, we have just a handful of patients from our phase two randomized study that are still on maintenance um, monotherapy um, and doing very well on it, and they've opted to stay on it. Some because they have stable disease, and we don't want to, you don't want to rock the boat because they've got disease on stance. Mm -hmm. Others have primary upfront, and they wanted to stay on it, and they're tolerating it well. There's obviously cost implications to that too. Um, in the breast literature, when you look at especially the early stage patients, the trials basically stop the maintenance after one year of therapy. And I think a lot of, you know, a lot of the ovarian trials, you know, also looked at similar one to two years of therapy and, and other targeted with other targeted drugs. Mm -hmm. So that's something um, that we're going to likely, it, the trial is still under development. We're going to look at that question as well on, and probably have a stopping point to maintenance therapy for those who don't have active disease, probably after a year, um, but consider continuing it in women who may have active but stable disease. Great. And so now, Amanda, one, uh, one, one final question. Um, and we always obviously love asking the uh, principal investigators or the primary authors of any of the manuscripts, 
what you've learned from these studies, how do you now incorporate this into your daily practice? Tell us about how Dr. Yeah. Amanda Nichols Fader treats her <laughs> patients with uterine papillary serous carcinoma. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you know, we've, we, we always learn so much from these studies, and sometimes, as you know, there are more questions that arise than answers, and we just shows us there's still so many mysteries molecularly that, uh, with these kinds of tumors and, and, and mutations that we need to be studying and taking advantage of to leverage better outcomes for our patients. But what we do know at this point in time is that um, testing for actionable targets in endometrial cancer, um, in other words, you know, targets that have, um, you know, either FDA approved or off-label um, drugs available to target those mutations um, does appear to impact survival in a meaningful way for these patients. And so at Hopkins, we do test all patients uh, with uterine serous carcinoma for HER2 in the upfront um, or recurrent setting if we're seeing them for second or third opinion. Mm-hmm. We, um, we will use trastuzumab in combination with chemotherapy um, as prescribed in, in our trial um, for those with advanced or recurrent disease. And I have, we have selectively looked at patients uh, for use of trastuzumab um, in a completely off-label, unstudied way in mm-hmm. early-stage patients as well. We, ha- we haven't always been able to get approval for that, and, and we obviously tell patients that it's experimental and that we hope to study that further. Um, but um, that's what we're doing right now. I, we are not using um, trastuzumab yet uh, because... There's that potential added toxicity there, and we, mm-hmm. we just need to make sure we're careful and study that in a controlled fashion. Um, and then we're using additional types of agents, including, um, you know, uh, TDM, TDM1 or uh, other uh, potential antibody drug conjugates as well if, if uh, women uh, progress um, on, uh, on trastuzumab therapy. Um, or, importantly, trying to find a good clinical trial for them if there's other clinical trials, um, including a trial of a fatinib, an oral HER2 tyrosine kinase inhibitor um, uh, that uh, is ongoing, and other antibody drug conjugates that are being studied as well. Mm-hmm. So there's, there, it's just an exciting time for, for uterine serous carcinoma research. It's never enough when we need to do so much better for our patients, but this has been one of the most exciting years in recent memory with you know, uh, the very good fortune of our preliminary study results, um, and um, we've we've seen other really exciting studies as well, including, um, you know, Dr. Macker's lundatinib pembro study, and mm-hmm. um, you know, mutationally unselected patients, so that there's an option for those who don't have HER2, um, or you know, or who do, um, and um, out of a serotib, a, a we inhibitor study by Joy Flu. There's just lots of exciting data coming out right now in this area that we hope will, will lead to improvements and tri- paradigm changes. Well, thank you so much, Amanda. Always it's such a great pleasure speaking with you. I always learn a tremendous amount. Are there any um, summary statements you'd like to make for our audience? No, uh, other than just thank you and, 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 and the journal and, and your audience. And if anyone has any questions about initiating th- these therapies or how to conduct testing programs, or initiate a testing program at their hospitals, um, you know, please feel free to reach out to me. I'm, I'm very happy to help in any way. 
Amanda, thank you so much once again for, again, these contributions to the field of gynecological oncology and the many others that you have made so far. Uh, always a, a pleasure and an honor to speak with you. Thank you. It's my honor, too. Thank you so much, Dr. Ramirez.